Hi, my name is Halina Rijn. Um, I'm the director of Bodies, 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 and I'm super honored and very excited to do this for the very first time in my life. It's only my second film uh, that I directed my first film, Instinct. We never did this. I didn't even know this was a thing still because um, I'm 46 and I thought it was gone. I used to love it, but now I discover it's back. So here, uh, this scene is one of my um, favorite moments of the film. I was very certain when I decided to take on this project that I wanted to start with something very sensuous and animalistic. Because to me, and of course I'm going to give a lot of spoilers, so don't watch this the first time with my commentary, please. Um, but I wanted to start with something very animalistic because to me this whole film is about are we civilized or are we underneath it all beasts? And so I thought it would be great to start like that. Um, as you can see, all of this sensuous and full of passion in a forest, like in a little paradise. Uh, in the beginning, uh, this was way longer. This kiss lasted minutes. And then we had to cut uh, some of it. So for me, um, I always wrote in the script um, before we started shooting that this scene was called Eve and Eve in the sense that Eve and Eve in the paradise. Everything seems to be beautiful and, you know, the birds are singing and the bees are there. They're two beautiful women. But here we can see a little bit um, that when Sophie says, I love you, that bee's reaction is a little bit off. And so now we go down the rabbit hole. Here we go, Alice in Wonderland. Where are we going? It's quite a classical setup, I feel, of two uh, main characters going on a trip. And we don't know exactly where they're going. You get little bits of information, but not too much about who they are. They're obviously lovers. Um, and uh, who, who are they going to, to visit? Who are they going to? Are they going to um, one of their parents or are they going to... No, they're going to friends. That's what this little scene in the car is about. And we can see that B is an outsider. Um, she doesn't know, she's asking about who they're going to meet and she's nervous, obviously, and she's, you know, impressed by... apparently by these characters that we don't know yet and haven't met yet. Um, so these two actresses, um, Amanda Semberg and Maria Bakalova, um, were of course the first who came on board of this project. First, we, Amanda joined. She's also an EP on this project, so her um, involvement is very important. First needle drop. Uh, Daddy as fuck. A song. Look, I'm 46. I'm making a movie about Gen Z, which is kind of funny. And so the first thing I asked um, my actors is like, all of you, give me playlists. What are you guys listening to? I'm looking for music that is kind of catchy and poppy, but also has anarchy in it and a little trashiness in it. Because I thought that would be um, good for the film, a good fit for the film. Well, here they arrive at the house, of course, again, kind of like a archetypical classic setup with a big gate opening. We can sense that Sophie's a little nervous, um, but they're both excited. And here we see the big 
house. This, to me, this house, this is where we shot the whole film. Of course, we spent a lot of time finding it. We didn't have a huge budget. We had a very short shooting period, only 25 days. Um, so we needed to find a house where we could literally have every location that you will find out later when you see the whole film, um, which was a huge challenge. And this house uh, was for sale for a long time for an in insane amount of money. It's an hour away from the city of New York, but it had to feel like it was in the middle of nowhere. So that we tricked that, of course, in, um, in the overhead shots and the drone shots that you see of it, because it wasn't totally in the middle of nowhere. But it had everything we were looking for, all these different rooms. It had an inside basketball court, an outside basketball court, huge rooms, swimming pool, the whole shebang. And to me, it's a symbol of the American dream or how I, as a person from Amsterdam, think of the American dream. I thought, like, it could be a house that Trump would like, which I thought was important for our film because it's all a metaphor to me for the times we live in of narcissism and greed. Um, well, there she goes, you know, this, um, she's the outsider. She wants to belong, that, that is what this film is about. And here we go, introducing the rest of the characters. This is very important to me. I, these are my favorite shots of the whole film. Well, there are more great shots to come, but um, I wanted to introduce these characters as if they were floating in a womb, um, like babies floating around in a womb. You have no idea what you're looking at. Um, they're, in the script, it said they were playing a game, holding their breath. Everything is competition in this film as as a reflection of our times. Um, and here, Rachel Sennett uh, comes above water. There she is. And then the group dynamic starts. But I wanted to, when, when we would introduce them, instead of introducing them loud and like this, this great friend group, I wanted to introduce them very quiet and 2000 Space Odyssey, of course, in all humbleness. This is not the 2000 Space Odyssey. Don't get confused. This, the girls made up themselves. That whole part where they greet each other, Amanda and Rachel, I had no idea what was going on, but I loved it. Um, I constantly was looking for authenticity as far as the way they speak, the way they interact. And so I prepared with them uh, for as long as I could and talked to them forever. And whenever we would go to dinner or lunch, I would literally write down everything they said and we would sometimes add that to scenes. Here we see Lee Pace, who is an amazing actor uh, in theater, in film, so accomplished, a lot older than the others. And I'm so honored that he would even consider taking on this part, which he's, it's such a great job he's doing because it's a guy who is so fun and sweet, but of course is seen by the others as the perpetrator and the bad guy and the murderer. And I think he does an amazing job in finding that balance between being a little dangerous, but also a little, not dumb, but naive. And I think it's also funny that we have a group of young, beautiful, successful, rich kids, except B, and then this older guy who's observing everything. And of course, I could totally relate to him because I'm more his age than their age. <laughs> yeah. I always feel he's a little bit like... Keanu Reeves in this part somehow. I, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but like a little bit of somebody who's trying hard to belong, but he's not really part of their dynamic. 
because they're so fast and they're so sarcastic and they're so, they share so much history, so. Okay, so here we're trying to build some tension about why Sophie's there. Obviously, she has a secret. And B doesn't understand what is going on because they are not expecting her. Know that I am useless with text, right? Also, we meant to come up yesterday, but then B got scheduled for a shift at work, so. I think for me, what I love about film and theater, I come from the theater, I used to be an actress, I retired, um, is to not explain too much about character. I think without giving away too much of their background, you can still totally relate to them and they become even more relatable if you don't know exactly like, oh, that one grew up in a small village and that one. There's enough for everyone um, to sort of like go on this journey with them, but you also have to use your own imagination, your own thoughts. You can't just sit lazy and eat popcorn. Well, you can totally do that if you want to do that, but your brain needs to sort of work a little bit with this one. Well, this is, of course, the crucial moment of the film, which in the end will turn out to be part of the big reveal of who and why everybody dies, or almost everybody, not everybody. So this is a very important moment, and it was hard in the edits to sort of choose how much emphasis we would put on that, because making a murder mystery or something that is lightly in the horror genre, I, I rather see this as a Mean Girls meets Lord of the Flies, kind of like comedy, whatever, dark, has its own genre, but it's, it's constantly a battle, a mathematical battle. What are you gonna show? When are you gonna give away what? Um, and since my, my creativity is very intuitive and very passionate, sometimes that was hard for me because I have to like become more of a scientist than just an intuitive creator or actor or whatever I am. So as you can see, the, here are the first um, real weather moments. Of course, um, that was a big technical challenge. My first film, Instinct, is basically a Kammerspiele, which it's a film about a therapist falling in love with a rapist. It all takes place in almost one space. This, we had rain machines and special effects and actors getting wet and lots of technical challenges. Well, here again, like, I love erotic um, and, and sexuality in films and Again, this is a moment where Sophie and B share intimacy after they had a huge group moment. And I'm constantly trying to find those kind of contrasts within my work. I like um, to change it up and keep it fast and the energy high. So here we get to know um, Pete's character and Amanda's character a little better. Bee's wandering around in this huge house. She has no idea what is going on. She doesn't really understand why they didn't really expect it, Sophie. And here we're looking at Pete as a young boy, and apparently those were maybe his parents. Hey. Obviously, she's in a in in rich circles. Maya Halla is an amazing actress. Um, comes also from the stage is the lead in a great HBO show, Industry. She's amazing, very, very um, grounded, very experienced. And in this film, she has um, an intense relationship with Sophie. They are exes, and um, of course, she sees B as a threat. <clears throat> Here, it's not very clear what she wants from B, but 
there's some like tension between them. Is it erotic or is she just a jealous ex? The bee is trying to. This is one of my favorite scenes just because as far as humor. In general. Moms that have been married for like 10, 15 years and they see like him going out of a Starbucks. Alice got to bring someone without telling anyone. So you do read the chat. Why is everyone so obsessed with the chat? So to me, the film is a lot about friendship and to make that believable, like a group of friends, whether we like them or not, whether they are narcissistic and vain and annoying people, they are still a friend group with a history. and. You can sort of, you have your own language, you, ha you share so much that you sort of like talk through each other all the time and to make that authentic. It was very important to me for them to learn their lines like soldiers. And I, we do long takes. Jasper is my DP. I took from Holland. He also did a film called Monas, for instance. He's one of the best DPs in the world. Of course, I'm a little bit prejudiced in this case, but... And so we do very long takes, and so they have to learn their lines as if it's a theater play. Well, I just look like I fuck. You know what I mean? And then within that um, system, if you will, um, you can have space for them to improvise. So my whole philosophy is, and I learned this from my director who I worked with for 25 years, Ivo van Hove. He's a very famous theater director. Google him if you don't know who he is. And he prepares like a military man for everything so that when we are rehearsing or when we're actually performing, there is space for our ideas and, 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 and to follow your impulses and to actually react in the moment. And that is what happens here with Pete, who I think is an enormous talent. I would want to work with him again. I Immediately when I read the script, I knew I wanted him to play this part because I think he's very masculine, but he's also very funny and... He has the confidence and the danger and the darkness to play a guy like this. And also he has an unlimited amount of screen time in this film, but the whole film is basically about him. Um, so you need someone with presence. And I loved how he let me direct him and how he was so motivated. And then when you give him the space to improvise, of course, you can on you only get like things that you can never make up. Um, and I, I so enjoyed working with him. For me, it was super scary to direct a big group of actors, a lot of group scenes, because having only done one film and basically those were two actors almost all the time, that was very easy for me. Also, they were older actors, around 40, very accomplished. Also, my best friends, Marlon Kanzari, who plays in a lot of big uh, American action movies, by the way, um, Carice Van Hout, who's my best friend. So that was so easy compared to being on set with this group all the time. And as you can see, um, to me, it's also a very physical film. And so we we demanded or asked um, for a lot of rehearsal time. So to be able to choreograph all the scenes beforehand uh, in the house, and A24 was super understanding and really supported me in that system so that we, again, could at, at the day, because we only had such limited amount of shooting days, we could really, we already had a plan, we already had a choreography, we, everybody already knew what their sort of starting point was, and that will make it so much easier to then um, explore new things and, and actually um, be in the moment and really react. Because to me, acting is only reacting. Like, it's not about you, it's not about how pretty you look, it's not about your character or whatever, I don't care. It's not about your whole Stanislavski, whatever. It is about being in the moment and reacting in a genuine way, in a super honest way to um, whoever is across 
from you, whether that's a group, whether that's a dog, whether that's another human being. I love also dance in films. In my first film, I cut out a lot of the dancing. There's still some in it, but most dance scenes are cut out here. We cut out one, I'm gonna add that to the deleted scenes. But I think physical movement um, is just as interesting as language. This we call the interrogation scene. Um, I myself always have a feeling, I think everybody has, that I'm an alien, that I don't belong, that I'm weird. I don't have children, I don't fit in, I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not married. So I always feel like an intruder. And I think everybody does feel like that. And that's, to me, that's B's character. And <laughs> all the girls like asking her questions and making very like annoying remarks, I thought would be funny. Um, and to kind of... Oh, you know what? That has you in it, right? Not a lot. I just didn't want you to go to town and then... Yeah, do you know what I mean? And they're not like mean, mean, but they are mean in their own way. So this, again, this to me is like animals behaving as a group, almost as one. This was a great scene to shoot. What we did here is basically we rehearsed what vaguely would be the storyline in this dance scene. So you're gonna kiss him, you're gonna kiss her, you're gonna be jealous of her, then you're gonna take away and you're gonna talk to her. And then we did immensely long takes. So we would basically just close the door, put Jasper the DP in there with them, and then just let them really do um, the whole scene in big, long takes. And for actors, that is great. If you make them feel safe so that they do have a rough choreography, because otherwise, if you just would just lock them into the room, that wouldn't, that would feel unsafe. And that that is unsafe. But if you give them very clear assignments, but at the same time, give them a lot of freedom and also give them the time to actually get into it instead of just cutting, 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 cutting and just recording small pieces, that doesn't work. This is a great way to really experience it as an actor instead of just reproducing something that somebody's asking you to do. And what I like about it is, of course, the story is going forward, but at the same time, we're just spending time with them. We're just witnessing them. It's not like we know what to think of them. We are part of it almost. I also wanted um, the whole film to sometimes, even though we said when I got on the project, me and A24 both said like, it's not supposed to be a music video, but it should feel every now and then like you're inside a music video because a very seductive friend group who are, look like they're hip and cool and you're not part of it. Like the seduction is that you would be part of something that would make you feel like you're beautiful and you belong, which social media constantly shouts at you that you should feel like that and you never feel like that. So that was the feeling I was looking for in this scene. Um, and of course that leads to the moment where... Who wants to play bodies, bodies, bodies? We start the game. <laughs> Rachel's reaction is priceless. Okay, so here we're getting into the game. So the game is basically a version of mafia or werewolf, or we call it in Holland, mordenaartje, which means murderer. And it's a psychological game in which you draw pieces of paper. She's all explaining it right now. And then when you draw the actor, the murderer, and basically what it really means to me is that it's all about 
who lies, who's honest, and, you know, you're drilling each other. It's psychological warfare until you find out who um, is the killer and is, you know, of course, hiding that. Um, but it is, of course, meant to be a game and not happen for real. Um, but the idea of a group of friends starting to play that game in which I used to play that a lot with my friends uh, a long time ago, and I would always feel like threatened because, of course, in the heat of the moment when you're trying to convince the other one, like, no, I know you're lying because you have the same look in your eyes like two years ago when you lied to me about this. And so all these secrets can sort of like start to pop up, landmines that start to explode. And I think the whole idea of the film of a group of people in a pressure cooker uh, in one location, trapped because there's a storm outside, um, very much appealed to me. And it reminded me of a lot of plays that I used to do because um, I come from the classical theater. So it reminded me in a crazy way of some Chekhov plays or Lord of the Flies, you know, of course, is a book. But And then they're taking a lot of drugs. But we're not really, there's not a storyline about the drugs. It's just a part of their dynamic, part of sharing this energy together. These scenes, um, again, were challenging because there's so many characters. Um, and me and Jasper both love to not just shoot coverage. I didn't even know what that word meant. Um, we want to be free in that we, we always tell the actors, everybody needs to be on high alert because it's never going to be like, oh, so now it's just on Maria, so all of us can go to sleep. No. Jasper operates the camera himself um, and he will just feel whatever is going on um, behind him and he will point his camera. And of course, with the group scenes, we did shoot coverage, especially in the beginning, um, but also later in a big, huge final scene shootout between the girls. We we even went in very close. I like close-ups because I'm an actress and I love to see their eyes. And even though I love the artistry of DPs and gaffers and the lighting and everything, and I don't like it when they make it like insanely dark and I can't follow anymore what goes on um, in their eyes. So this whole, the, the, <laughs> I love that. The whole hitting each other also, like, it reminds me of cults and communes. I was born in like a very radical hippie environment in Amsterdam. And these kind of like rituals, if you will, I think is always interesting uh, within a friend group where they sort of play with pain and fun and erotic tension and all of it is there and they're all they're still young they're, they're they probably all finished some kind of college or are trying to finish or dropped out or whatever but they're all young and exploring boundaries and um the whole game of course is about boundaries and about uh, provocation and all of that so now they're gonna play the first round of the game. It's kind of like a hide and seek. We, we in, in the version I played, we never made it physical like that. But of course for the film again, I love physicality and I thought it would be fun if they would actually physically hide from each other um, during the game. And here uh, is again, the seduction of Sophie. We, we loosely, Sarah Delap, who wrote this, who's an amazing playwright, who wrote an amazing play called Wolves. Um, 
We both um, love a play called Platonov. It's about a man, Chekhov play, who seduces everyone around him. And we kind of feel Sophie is in a light way, of course, because this is a very different genre. Female Platonov, who almost has a relationship with literally everyone in the film. Like David, Pete Davidson used to be her boyfriend. She says that in the car on the way. Um, the character of Chase later has an erotic moment with her and suggests something happened. Of course, Maya Hollis' character has a relationship with her. The only person who doesn't really have an erotic relationship with her is Rachel. Um, so now we're getting into darkness, not completely yet, but of course, almost 80% of this film is taking place in the dark. This was very challenging as far as lighting. Um, we decided, again, we're from Europe, you know, we're like art house. <laughs> so we didn't want to trick anything, go dogma on it. So uh, everybody's lighting each other with their phones. Um, also, me and Jasper were totally obsessed by this whole thing, phenomenon of prepping, um, which of course, when you live in a country like America, but I mean, more and more everywhere in the world, climate change, weather has become this huge thing in our lives and prepping with all these different elements would also give us the freedom that they would have flashlights because it is a hurricane party where you actually, you know, this is a phenomenon apparently in America where you um, sit through the hurricane together in a house and you will have all the stuff because you know the power might fall out and you might need flashlights or uh, what have you. So very early on, I decided to make Rachel into a lighthouse to give her those almost dog collars around her neck, which I thought was so appropriate for her character. So she could light the others um, later when it gets really dark. And also the phenomenon of the actors having to light each other is, is something, if you're acting, you're already like have so much to deal with and then to ask, oh, and also point your iPhone at her or point your headlight at her is a lot to ask, but they were amazing at it. So now they're playing the game. This is the the, the game and how it works. Um, I think, again, the underlying meaning, if you want to hear it, if you don't, just um, put your hands over your ears. But for to me, it's, it's all about acting. It's about honesty and truth, or is she lying, is she? And because we're all so glued to our phones, especially this generation, but all of us, they grew up with phones, um, smartphones, and we continuously present a, a certain image of ourselves. We all grow up in front of cameras. We're all actors now. So that's why I like the metaphor of the game. So constantly we are playing with the audience in the same way, like, was he dead? No, oh, no, of course not. So we're constantly playing with these different layers of truth, if you want to make it heavy. So what about David? <gasps> Wait, maybe it's Jordan. She's always really aggressive when she's the killer. There you go. What? No, I am not. <laughs> what I love is an acting style that is very realistic and earthy. I don't like if it's all like cliche and like like a hamburger served to you, you have to, it has to be true to life, even though the circumstances of course are wild, which I totally realize. Also me coming from Europe, I had to like get to know and learn a lot about American class system. Of course we have it a little bit, but much less, I think. We all have access to education and to healthcare, for instance, and of course all of that. If I would have, been born in America, I would probably have not had the career that I have right now. Um, I come from very poor people. I went to the 
best theater school in the country that has nothing to do with how much money you have. You don't have to pay for that. And you don't have to, you have to get in on your talent, that's all. So, of course, that's a big theme in the film, even though, again, this is just a, an entertaining roller coaster. But if you want to read into it, it's a lot about class. It, look, in sports, <laughs> Oh, my God. You're such a fucking dick. Hey, this is a teaching moment. So here you really feel a fr the power of a friend group, like, picking on bullying one. And David's, you know, having fun with him. But it's, of course, not very nice. And also I want, I love myself. I'm a sucker for men and the way they compete with each other. I think it's very interesting and weird in a way how they want to be the strongest or whatever. So I like these kind of moments. There are moments like this in my first film too, between men competition. I'm always fascinated by that. And here again, you go like, is he angry? Is he not? Is he okay with the situation? It's not very clear. I love ambiguity. So we try to um, hold on to that. There he goes. And then again, I mean, apart from the fun that we had, with scenes like this, they are very challenging because it's a huge group. We did huge takes. They had to learn their lines again as if they were doing a play. Because it, it looks so relaxed and so easy, but that's very hard to do, to make it organic and believable. Like why? Swallowing is normal. It's a normal thing to do. Very unattractive. I don't know why you do it. I love his character so much. What? Alex. And I thought it was funny that I think there's still such a taboo on how much sex you need to have, especially if you're a couple. And so I thought it would be funny that everybody would think that he would have sex with her 600 times a day, and then it turns out that they never have sex. Or at least that's what Rachel's saying. Is that true, though? You know, you never know with this film, like, who's speaking the truth, who's honest. Gaslight, shut up, it's a fucking dumb word. Excuse me? Gaslight is like one of the most overused words ever to like the point of annihilation, okay? It doesn't mean anything other than the fact that like you read the internet or like, congrats, you have a Twitter account. Oh, that is so fucking weird. Yeah. Gaslight, get over it. Like, <laughs> you gonna call me a narcissist? Or a foot soldier of like the white supremacy? Like, come on, fucking be more original. Lame. Yeah, and this is so they are all bullying each other in a very intellectual way. Like they know everything. They have all the words, they have all the vocabulary, they've read all the articles, but do they really know anything about life? I think that is what amazes me on about this time, also about myself, but also about this generation. Like you have access to so much information, but you haven't necessarily experienced all those things. You can just Google everything, everything. You can learn everything with YouTube or but of course it has nothing to do with actually experiencing all these things. Look at your quivering upper lip, like we ordered to see you in Hedda Gabler. Fuck you. Yeah. And Hedda Gabler is a Ibsen play that was a play that I did all my life and I thought it would be great to to have that character because Hedda Gabler is also really bored and just trying to find meaning in an empty life. The unbearable lightness of being. So we thought it would be fun to have Chase's character um, have played Hedda Gabler. And of course, on a, on a more like understandable level, maybe, um, 
it's all about who's lying, who's acting, and then to say like, oh, you're an actress, you know, you're probably acting. Well, she's really crying. I thought that was just interesting in a time where we have no clue anymore what's real and what's not real. Um, so now the power goes. And here it becomes clear what our style is as far as lighting and how we're gonna approach the rest of the film being in the dark. What was also a big concern um, while making this film is like, how do you pull off the fact that they, that they, why don't they just call the police? Why don't they just leave? Why don't they, you know, you need to like close all those doors in order for the film to work. Um, and you have to like find out while you're editing, like how much do you need? How many moments do you need to remind the audience? Like, listen, we don't have reception. Um, we can't leave because the hurricane is insane and all of those things, because Especially in these times, you're like, you can always get out of any situation. So you need to really be clear to the audience to communicate that. And of course, on a metaphoric level, the having no reception is what the film is also about. Like, who are we without our phones? And why are we constantly looking at our phones instead of what's going on? And why aren't we looking in each other's eyes anymore? Because this whole film, if they would stop for one moment and would actually like ask each other, like, what is really going on? The film would stop. Because if you have watched the ending, then you know that what they're responding to is nothing. It's absolutely nothing, nothing. He accidentally killed himself in an act of vanity to make a little TikTok. So uh, that to me is the meaning of the film, if you, if you will. Um, it's, a, it's a cautionary tale for myself to not look at my phone all the time. Um, so she goes down and down, and she's looking for the toilet. She doesn't know this house. And here are the wind machines and the rain machines. Again, we were, we, we, I mean, we were blessed to have money, of course, to make this film, and so grateful, but we weren't a big film. So we had to be very creative with wind machines, and they, they looked to me like they came from the 1920s or something. But it was a struggle to um, make the hurricane look real and um, make the rain look real and all of that. So we decided that, we'd researched that, that how uh, big mansions will have emergency lighting. So even when the power goes out, these lighting, will, these emergency lighting will work on um, battery. And this is, of course, where the whole film shifts. So it goes from a hangout movie, like a modern version of The Big Chill, it now suddenly shifts to horror, or at least murder mystery. Um, and I, the way I wanted to do that um, is when B is watching Pete Davidson coming up to the window and hitting the window, I wanted to be very much in her perspective and a very subjective experience, the way we, we were tricking the sound with a little echo over it so it would feel surreal because if something very very dramatic happens in your life i don't know if you've ever experienced that if you see something very violent happen in front of your eyes or you see somebody die it feels like everything slows down and it feels like it's you don't really believe what you're seeing um and that's uh, a sensation we wanted to have so here we hear a very important piece of soundtrack 
um, it was quite a, a process to, to get the soundtrack right, but Disaster Piece is an insane genius. And the, what I was looking for was music a little bit inspired by Run Lola Run and films like that where, again, you have to have the feeling that these characters never reflect. They never stand still to think. So the music needs to be like that. And also because I feel it's a comedy throughout, this movie is never taking itself completely seriously, even though they are acting in a very truthful way and realistic way. The music needs to tell us we are just witnessing this. We have no opinion. So the music should never be like, oh, we're in a horror movie now. It shouldn't be too heavy and it shouldn't be too thick because that would drag the movie down and would make it melodramatic. Also, it shouldn't go with their emotion. It should always be in contrast. It should always just be a witness. Uh, almost cold. Um, Berlin, I would always say to him, <laughs> which is such a dumb thing to say. <laughs> That's intuitively how I would like, I would think like Berlin, think Berlin when you make this music. But I meant like the music needs to have some sort of distance within itself and also have TikTok elements in there and video game elements in there um, from their world. And then of course, distort that in an artistic way and Disaster Piece did a great job. What was he doing? Why the fuck was he outside in the store? So now the darker part of the film, literally and figuratively speaking, has started. And I was always concerned with even though we wanted this to really sink in with the audience, like, listen, somebody actually died. One of their friends died. How would you react if that would happen? But then we also want to come back to the tone that we were looking for, which is dark comedy. It, the absurd circumstances. To me, life is completely absurd. We're all going to die and we're pretending we're paying our bills. We're walking around as if we're not going to die. We're all going to die. And I thought that absurdity should be the tone of this film, which is a hard tone to catch. But this scene, I think, does a good job in getting back to that comedy tone without losing realism. Max told everybody that he was in love with Emma, which David thought was beautiful in the moment, but maybe not today. Alice, that literally doesn't fucking matter at all. Where is Greg? Where is he? What? Where is Greg? I... He said he was going to bed, so my guess would be that he's sleeping. Okay, don't you think it's a little bit strange that he hasn't, like, woken up yet? Jordan? What are you trying to say? Maybe we should just go check on him. No! No, no. Jordan, what are you doing? Jordan, Jordan, what are you doing? I'm staying safe. Really? Because it looks like you're grabbing a fucking meat cleaver to go look for my boyfriend. <laughs> wow, boyfriend? That's the first time I've heard you call him that. That's great. So now they're starting to attack each other in order to find the killer. So this is all about group dynamics, which I love. And as you can see, Rachel is a star in um, staying within the scene, but at the same time being funny and addressing the absurdity of it all. I don't know exactly how long. I, like, two weeks? Okay, uh, what do you know about Greg, Alice? And so also what this scene to me is about is the fact that 
they know everything, but they have no idea how to handle a crisis. Like, and, and that's all of us. Like, we know everything, but we don't know anything about, like, we're, we don't want to think about sickness or death or, you know what I mean? was at a bar, he drank like a medium amount. Okay, Alice, He stop. likes nature. What is his He's middle a name? Labor what? You don't ask what your middle name is, okay? Oh. For a really long time. Oh. He's a Libra moon, that says a lot. Fuck. Greg! Shh. What? You just said we're looking for Greg! Well, Greg! Don't look and so, because we all know the ending, or that's what I'm presuming again, if you don't want me to talk about it, stop watching. Um, put my voice out. How do you say it in English? Shut me off. Um, but because we know that the end, it turns out that there is no killer. It's a film that you could also call Much Ado About Nothing. Um, so all of this is hysteria in a way, right? Every reaction, every death is for nothing. And I feel that is a great concept. I think when we came up with the fact that there should not be a killer in the slasher film, I think that was very liberating for me because I would never in my life have thought that I would direct a film within this genre. But I loved it. And I think it also has to do with the freedom that I felt in this genre with the violence, and it reminded me a lot of the theater, actually, weirdly, because, you know, as much as we also focus on the language, I think it's a, it's a very language heavy, this film, unexpectedly, because it's also so entertaining, but they're talking a lot. At the same time, it's also very physical and primal, and we can, of course, go far with every death. And so now I'm kind of addicted to this genre. So here they, I always call this the Looney Tunes because they're like sneaking through the house, like, you know. Um, and they're trying to find the killer. Who, some of them think it's Greg. And of course, Rachel doesn't. And here you see outside the weather, all, at all times we had to, of course, make sure um, whenever we see a window that you know, the weather would add up. And of course we could do some work later be, uh, with special effects and with computer techniques, but the more we had in reality, the better it would be. And, and also the less costly it would be. So we had to be very creative, um, which is always great because limitations will make you more creative. So now to find the go bag again, this is like a, something I love, a go-bag. I didn't even know that existed until I saw the whole capital thing where they would have go-bags and ropes and stuff like that. So now they're becoming these little iconic figures almost with a headlamp and a backpack and, a, and they all have flashlights and weapons. And this is like a modern version of Clue. I was talking to the production designer about how to dress the house. I would always say, just imagine that Pete Davidson or David's mom is like Sofia Coppola, but then Sofia Coppola who would like vote for Trump. That was the way I want the house to look like. So very rich, well-to-do, but also 
with some beautiful colors, like you see here, the blue of the sheets. Um, and me and Jasper both are very specific. If it's about color and we want it the way we envision it. You see, this is like a painting to me, like her skin and her sensuous, um, the way she looks, and then the blue of the, looks like a Dutch old painting. That's really Jasper, who is so good with light, with a very, very limited amount of light that he could use. He would often have a little flashlight in his hand while operating the camera, so to pretend that he was one of the actors lighting the other one to help them. I'm just saying, shut up. Max would never. And this is so good about Maya Halla because her task in the whole film is to, every time it becomes too like melodramatic or too crazy, then she will like ground the scene. And that is not a very easy thing to do. It looks easy, but it's not because all of them have the jokes and the, and the, and the emotion. And then she will go like, okay, so what are we doing? Where are we going? And I think she does an amazing, amazing job. Very graceful and, and also funny and, and just a great actor. Okay, so this... I love this. So Kim Kardashian always uses, the Kardashians always have those masks, or at least that's what I saw on TV. And I love those. So it's lighting therapy. It's like supposed to be good for your skin, but also for your mood. And I, I'm really into all of it. Like I'm a sucker for anything. Um, and we thought it would be so fun if he, um, this is actually something the production designer came up with, um, which is wonderful. I think it's wonderful because it makes him look Suddenly it feels like we're in a different movie. Like, is this like a Marvel character? Um, and what I thought was great, this actually, this basketball court was inside this house. This is, of course, complete insanity and decadence. And then we had the emergency lights there. And I called it the red room because I wanted it to be completely red, which is, of course, sort of a cliche, but I thought it, I always think it's so fun to play with cliches. And I see this film as a child's drawing. I wanted, like... It has a naivete in it, um, and it's pure in that way, and that's why I like this room to be red, because here they shift, because here they become killers. And it had to be believable that they would actually kill one of their own, because they think he is the killer, but if they would pay attention, they would know he's not. But that's what they think. And so this is truly group behavior gone wrong. And that really scares me, to be honest. Like, you know, if you're at an airport or whatever, and you see suddenly somebody gets up and walks to the, to the gate, then everybody gets up and starts to stand in the line and it makes no sense. And to me, that's a metaphor for how we can behave in groups um, that can be very scary. Right? This isn't a joke, Greg. David is dead, somebody slit his throat. What? With a fucking sword, you fucking sick fuck! This is a very intense oh. shooting day for for the girls. Also, it was again we did long takes, and of course to play those kind of emotions. And it honestly turning violent. Of course, we also had to like work on the fights and the physical actions. Um, there were stunt doubles uh, for the later when he throws somebody to the wall. And when he throws Chase on the ground. I love how he does this. This to me. 
this one big misunderstanding, and uh, this is how human behavior can be so explosive. And so, and, I mean, again, of course, this is a fable, and this movie is just a, a movie, but to me it is about how if we don't pay attention, we can very easily start to misunderstand each other and start to separate ourselves from the other and start to exclude others and start to become killers. Here it looks like Jesus. Again, here's a moment of almost slow motion, like something horrible is happening, but everything seems to slow down. They don't know what to do. It's not like a slick action movie where like, well, well, this is kind of like a slick action movie, even if I say so myself. But no, but it was to me, it's really about all their reactions. And again, it's about their helplessness. They have no clue how to handle the situation. And B is motivated by wanting to belong to this group, wanting to impress this group, wanting to protect her lover, wanting to protect the one person she's obsessed with and um, thinking that he's the killer, you know? And then we have the aftermath, which is, of course, even more important than the first time they have killed someone. But what are they going to do now? Alice, how do you know? How do you know that he did? Look, I mean, like, if you look at all of us, like, on paper, logically, he is the most likely to commit an act of violence. On paper? So there's constantly this what the fuck are you even finding the balance between realism and absurdity. Served in the military, right? So what? He's a vet, right? Like Iraq or? No, I thought it was Afghanistan. He was a veterinarian. That's why I also love films like Reservoir Dogs. And we watched that as a reference. But then we also love watching Heathers for this because that is more over the top, but it is in between. Or kids. Or a movie called Don's Plum, which is really hard to find, but a very great reference for this. Leonardo DiCaprio film, where they just sit around and talk to each other with a group of friends. Great film. Go change your shirt. And to me, I wanted to feel continuously that I that there's no character that I can really relate to. So I don't want to have the one girl that I go on the journey with. Of course, B is sort of we are a lot in her perspective, but right now we're losing her. Like, is she, like, more violent than we expected? Who is she? What do we know about her? So I constantly want you to feel, as a viewer, confused. Like, I would feel when I would really play this game and the psychological warfare would actually occur without the real deaths, that you are losing your emotional and social compass and you're gaslighted by the situation, if you want to use that word. They could all be 
killers is basically what we're saying with this film. And the beast is inside us this is not and not outside of us. And Max, why are you being so mean? Because I'm upset. I'm, a, I'm upset because somebody killed my best friend. Sophie, did you use? I can't believe you're making this about you. And what we also thought was important but very hard to pull off is that they're constantly talking about stuff that doesn't matter, about their past and about even though bodies are piling up. You loved feeling comfortable, but no, you did not love him. You didn't even fucking like him. You were just too scared to do anything about it, so you stayed for three years longer than you should have because you're a coward. No, I'm not. No, and now it's like masks off. Like, now anything goes. And But again, like, even in the... Like, again, this, not to make it too heavy, but I feel that we are all guilty of, like, there are continuously people dying, wars are being fought. Um, disasters are taking place, people are hungry, and we can talk for an hour about something so small and unimportant. And that's often what you also see in moments of crisis, that life is also very banal, you know? And we thought that would be funny to keep that up, even though it's completely um, getting out of hand with the situation. Where the fuck is B? That T-shirt was um, specially designed and uh, with the, these sort of Japanese characters on it. We wanted to look, um, create a world for Maria Bakalova's character B that was very authentic and a little bit searching for her identity as all the characters are. And now she's changing the washing of the hands of a little bit of a fun reference to Lady Macbeth, cleaning her hands you know, in front of the mirror. It's a, it's a melodramatic moment, but I love playing with these kind of like, being very, trying to be funny in scenes and then also allowing these radical images with blood and drama. The girls are separating. You need to do that also for the puzzle to work so that they don't know of each other where they are and we as an audience also don't cannot completely keep track of everyone. Here she's looking for drugs that apparently the David character has hidden or they hid together at some point. They share that history. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm so This was a scene that we cut out at a certain point before shoot, but the girls were both very disappointed that we did that because this is also a typical sort of like moment where a straight girl thinks that's a way to sort of connect to Sophie's character. Um, and also it's like, um, it shows Chase's character getting more and more crazy. We we really modeled her character on Ophelia from Hamlet a little bit, like a pleaser, somebody who really wants to adjust herself to, to be liked by everyone, especially by Pete Davidson's character, David. And then, so she has this masochism, this, and then sort of loses her mind because she's only 
occupied by being liked instead of just being. And here, all the girls are looking for each other and running away from each other. It's not clear anymore. Is Are they fleeing or from each other or are they looking for each other? And I think that's uh, an interesting dynamic because they don't know, nobody knows who to trust anymore, which is, of course, the game. So, of, as you all can see, they are still playing the game, even though they're not playing the game anymore, they're still playing the game. That's, of course, the idea of the film. This is one of the shots where you have to establish the weather. Um, and which gives us a little bit of a feeling of time passing until we go and find the next victim. This is called the Paradise Room. Um, it's just a background now, but I discovered that some people in America have those kind of like bunkers built underneath their houses in case a bomb will drop or something and they will like paint gardens and on the wall for, you know, where they can like, if disaster hits, they can like survive in their bunkers. I thought that was amazing. Um, so we used that idea and created our own paradise room. This death, um, I always knew I wanted it to look exactly like this. The girls laying on top of each other, almost a kiss a little bit based on a very famous painting of Ophelia of Everett Milius, where she lays there with her mouth open and her death is sort of loosely based on the documentary, The Staircase, where um, somebody fell off the stairs or was killed, it's still unclear. Um, and the theory is that if she did fall, that she hit her head really badly and blood spattered everywhere because she coughed the blood. Because, of course, now we know there is no killer. I mean, in our film. I'm not talking about the staircase here. And for the girls, of course, it was a big challenge to react to sort of like very extreme circumstances in a very realistic way. Like, how do you even react to finding, tripping over your one of your best friend's dead bodies and almost like screaming inside of her mouth? And I think they did an amazing job in being very authentic and real. And here we go again with suspecting another character. Like, where was she? I did, I did tell you. Here you see a flashlight on the table. Um, that's how we try to stay creative with the lighting. And now we're gonna take the attacking each other to a next level. Who was the killer? in the game. It's following the same pattern. The deaths. Please, please, just stop talking, please. David, Greg, Emma. David, Greg, Emma. No. Yes. Fucking yes, Jordan. No, no, it's not following the same pattern. Greg. If you decide that there's no killer, you start to, you have to become very creative in how you're gonna let everyone die. Because of course there will always be people who maybe see through it and you have to be very, like, how can you pull that off? But you, if someone is going to watch the movie again, it needs to all add up. So it's it's a big limitation on one hand, and it's, of course, a super exciting challenge. I'm not. Are you wearing makeup? And here the alien ha needs to go. They are turning on the one they share no history with. 
first Craig, the character of Lee Pace, and now her because she is a stranger to them. And of course, what is very important here is how Sophie reacts. Why doesn't she defend her? Because she, her friends put in her head doubt about B2, and that works. That's why she's not defending her at this point. You discovered David's body. No, I just... You could have tampered with the generator just like you tampered with Sophie's car. You said you left the lights on, right? Are you serious? We watched you kill someone. You literally murdered Greg. Literally. Literally. You sick fuck. No, no, I'm crazy. No. Calm down. Let's just talk about it. Talk about it? Yeah. No. No. And again, every scene almost has this, like, escalation in it. And to, like, take all the steps in order to make that believable was the things that we were working on and rehearsing and talking about. Like, how can you, how, what will you do? How can you make it look organic and feel organic to actually throw someone out in the storm, which is basically murder by itself. So this quickly escalates from a conversation to she needs to go. And again, this is to me about mass hysteria, and that is a very easy thing to happen to all of us. You only have to look at history to know that. So now we're outside. For the actresses, this is so intense to deal with the getting wet. They were so cold. We, of course, tried to be, um, keep them warm. We had everything we had, like, warm, Tents, we had warm water bottles, dry, like 6,000 dry costumes. Um, but of course, before you start a scene like that, you have to wet her down. And it's night, and it's, even though it was summer, this is hard. And I think I'm full, she is such an, an, an actress in that sense, like a true, classically trained, extremely talented actress. Um, and also very, very, very ready to do stuff like this. This is uh, sort of the dark night of the soul, as Sarah Lap calls it, where she's been shut out of the house by everyone and now she needs to find, survive by herself or die. But in the beginning of the film, we had the little moment where the window was stuck when they arrived at the gate, and now we use that for her to be able to open the car that is dead because the battery is dead. I love this because, again, I, I love everything that th this is, of course, a grand moment because, but then, you know, you're just hungry. So even though you're dealing with life and death, you just want to eat the Cheetos. And this is a moment I'm always curious if everybody understands this moment. She's, she's taking Sophie's sweater, putting it on, but then she finds Mayahala's underwear um, in the car of Sophie. But even if you don't understand, I don't really care, but I, 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 I'm curious. And she sniffs it and she smells it and she wants to get back in. So. I believe that, you know, 
jealousy in love is such a green monster. It can make you do things that are beyond anything. So now she suddenly finds, even if it's a very dark power, she finds the strength to get back into the house. She needs to know what's going on. And it's ambiguous. She maybe wants to save Sophie, but she also wants to know what, what's up. Which is, what is interesting is that with the test screenings that we did and reaction of the audience, we found that some people even start to suspect Maria Bakalova's character B, even though you really can't because she's, she, well, at least she finds David. She's the first on the scene, but maybe, but I love that people start to suspect her because again, I don't want her to be like the goody two shoes that you are like identifying with all the time. I think it's way more interesting to have characters that you can't identify and that are not likable all the time, that are ambiguous and dark and light at the same time as we all are. That's just a Walt Disney fantasy that there would be good and bad people. We wish it would be that simple. So now through the dog door, which I thought was very important because to me, she has to sort of like humiliate herself in order to, she goes through, you know, all her boundaries are out of the window. And now she becomes this threat to them. What the fuck? How the fuck did you get in here? She has a gun. Jordan has a gun in her pocket. Sophie, get away from her. No, no, Sophie, she's confused. So throughout the whole film, I try to put in elements of primal and animalistic behavior, and the dog door is part of that to me. And here we see the X. That's it? That's it. Oh my God. This is the longest scene of the whole film. This was so long. When we would rehearse, it would take like, a huge amount of time to play through the whole scene and they the girls rehearsed this i told them like you need to know this so well that you can be completely free on the day they were shooting it and they did they did their homework so well and they added stuff and they asked me if they could add some stuff and uh, amanda was also very good at that um reading different versions of the script and saying like listen you cut out this line but can we put it back in and i'm so grateful for that mentality that they all had, because that makes it way easier for me to to lead a group with people who are all thinking for the film and not just for themselves. Okay. Okay. What I like here is that we play sort of with, okay, now she's gonna do this very emotional confession about who she really is and that our mom is borderline and it's such a sad story, which it is. But then uh, we have Rachel Sennett say one thing and make it into a very grounded moment again. I think that's continuously the balance I'm looking for between melodrama, realism and absurdity. I'm out at the food court. They don't want it to disappoint you. 
I was embarrassed. I should have told you, I just... My mom, she... She has... My mom has borderline. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, that's... That's really serious. Mental health is a really serious issue. I mean, I've never actually said this to anyone, but I have body dysmorphia. Oh my God, shut the <laughs> fuck up, Alice. I love these kind of moments. They are so important to be able to pull this off, this emotional moment, you need another moment to balance it all out. Otherwise I can't take it, I'm too Dutch. I'm too much like a farmer for it. So. Again, I love both of those layers. And now my favorite scene starts, or my favorite part of this scene, which is the big shootout between all the girls. You believe that pile of bullshit? Is that supposed to inspire confidence her mom has borderline? Is that not a red fucking flag to anybody And this is, even though it looks easy, and you see that me and Jasper are going closer and closer. Like now it's really about them and only about their acting. They have to carry it. And it's about every character against the other character. And this looks easy again, but this is really hard to do because they all need to find that tone between comedy and tragedy. And then you show up with this fucking psychopath? Don't call her a psychopath. It's so ableist. Fuck you. You deserve each other. She fucking suffocates you in your sleep. Yeah, you didn't reply in the chat. And David actually told me that. You like begged him to your parents. And I have never been part of something. And of course, if you make a film, you have to watch it six trillion times. And of course, some parts of it are hard for me to watch because I want to change it or whatever, which is totally normal. And you learn to accept that. But this scene, I'm always laughing. I always enjoy it. Has a coke habit. It's a problem. But when everyone else around her does it, including her best friend who happens to be white and male, it's fine. I understand. And I'm an ally and I totally get how it looks that way. And, um, Jordan. Oh my God. Yeah, and I think what makes the scene very great and it's also Sarah Delap's um, talent and also the girls' talent and how we all put it together is that it's also, of course, a comment on these times where we're using all the different stereotypes and all the, but without ridic making it a, a ridiculous with respect for all of it. But at the same time, we do want to reflect um, them having a debate almost about something so small in the light of death. Pussy and your feelings and your fucking feelings. Oh my God, we are all. Drowning in your fucking feelings. Feelings are facts. No. Great line. Facts are facts. Why did you ghost us, Sophie? Like, why? Because you fucking triggered me. You and I also love the fact that we have so many, even though I love the two men in the film and I think they are amazing, I do like that the female characters are all so layered and get so much screen time and um, I love this big, big, long scene with all of these young women that are so exceptionally talented and how they approach it. I was in awe of their um, work ethic and 
and also their talent beyond just acting, you know, really understanding what we were doing and, and, and bringing their own ideas and their own world to this. Including sex, because you have no soul. Fuck you. You're emotionally abusive. I had to go to therapy for PTSD. You can fucking ask Alice. Yeah, she did for a long time. And when we're editing this, we're, of course, you know, the scene was even longer than it is. And you're constantly looking, how long can you talk under these circumstances? How long is it believable to even have a discussion about a podcast? In And, and at the same time, you know, making it believable that dead bodies are laying all over the place. What? And you made a swear on our lives not to tell anyone. Jordan, is that true? As you can see, they're always wearing the same costumes because... You know, feel the cost of life. hanging out with your smartest and funniest friend. Yeah, and now it becomes Bro? goes to the next absurdity no, level. I said hanging out with your smartest and funniest friend, like that, like that. You Fuck. just did it again. No, I didn't. First of all, a podcast takes a lot of work. Okay, you have to organize the guests. You have to do a Google Calendar, and and you build a following. It takes a long fucking time, and I've been working on it for a while. Okay, and then let me say that nobody likes you. And this is where it all comes out. And this is so relatable to me. Under pressure, the truth comes out. And even though they try to hide all of that and be, you know, have this like dynamic with each other. Now we're down to the masks off level. And I think they all, all these actresses are doing an amazing job. Middle class. No, they're not. Jordan, they are. They teach at a university. It's public. Oh my God. And the way this is shot is almost like a Western. That's how I see it. Like. Super close and with the superiority complex. It's like what the fuck? What the fuck, Jordan? Oh my god. Are you serious? Did you just fucking shoot me? Of course, um using guns in films, there's been a lot of debate lately about it, which I totally understand considering how um guns, you know, are handled here in America and how explosive all of that is. But I think it makes no sense to say that we should make movies without guns, because as long as this is movies and even comedies like this one should reflect um, whatever's going on in society. And this moment is also about the fact that they even have access to a gun, you know, that that is even a possibility. Of course, that's insane, but that's the truth. And so... I feel if you say, okay, we should make movies with no rape and we should make movies, that's insane because art needs to reflect what's going on in society. I do understand that they might not want to glamorize or romanticize um, gun using in like slick action movies, but in a film like this, even though it's a very light fable, if you will, there is of course a dark layer and a commentary on society and this gun using is very important element. Because this death is, of course, completely senseless. 
the gun just goes off, which is, even if you just Google that, you will find out that that happens a lot here. Um, because the access to guns is, is easy. Some of the actors were really good in laying still. Other ones, not so much. It's, I'm not good at it at all. When I used to be an actor, um, Chase was like scary. Lee Pace as well, they could like, but there's tricks where you can actually um, pretend, you know, like you can make the shot still so that it, it looks like they're actually dead. But but Chase was just, we didn't need to do that. It was, she looked completely dead, it was really impressive. So now they don't know how to get out of this. Now they're all, they don't trust you. There's complete paranoia and hysteria now. They want to stop, but they don't see a way out, the characters. And here we lose B. Um, and then she will appear later on the top of the stairs and the way the house was built. There's staircases everywhere. This is like the hero staircase, but then there were staircases for servants, and so she could easily like get up. Um, it might not always be easy to follow the house and the layout of it, but I like that. I like that you don't always understand the map of the house, if you will. I think that adds to the mystery of it all, and I don't. I I I think that it's great to um, be able as an audience to also make up your own world and not just be spoon-fed the whole film. I really enjoyed creating those action scenes, even though we were also limited with, and we had an amazing stunt team that would, with a very, within our budget, think of creative ways to pull off the things that I had in my head, like this one which was a stunt double with a rope and it was so scary. And I watched it so many times and every time I was so afraid of it. And here, of course, we didn't have money to actually film that she was actually falling in the table. And so we had to trick it. And so the camera comes a little later. So she's already supposedly half, you know, the table is already underneath her. Um, I, I love set dressing myself and I come from a country where you can do everything yourself here with unions and you have to be very respectful of everyone's profession, which I think is a really good thing. But I love like putting the blood on the actors and literally like being very hands-on with everything. Um, but I have to restrain myself sometimes because it can be very annoying to other people because it's their job and I shouldn't think that I can just take over. <laughs> but if you come from a culture that's way more like, oh, let's do it all together, like... But here it's, of course, a real industry and actual money is being made. And in my country, everything is subsidized. The arts are subsidized by the government. Very different ballgame. Here, of course, the final round of the game is sort of taking place. You know, of course, not in the reality of the characters, but of us as an audience, they're still playing. Like, did you kill that one? Did you kill that? Did you lie about that and the interesting thing to me um, is that this scene even though they're asking each other who did you kill the main question that B wants to ask did you cheat on me with Jordan like and I think sometimes life is like that 
where you're so obsessed and jealous that you can't even see what is the most important thing and you don't, your priorities are not right. So now B is running away from Sophie even, because we're completely confused. Who is who, what is what? Um, and Sarah and I talked a lot about how this whole film, again, as a fable, is also a metaphor for toxic love, where you, you know, you're obsessed with someone, you wanna be with them, but you're afraid of intimacy. That's B with Sophie. You're trying to impress their friends, you wanna belong so badly and then you enter this house wanting to impress everyone and 24 hour, hours later, all those friends that you wanted to impress so badly are all dead. Um, so to us, it's also a film about toxic love between Chase's character and Pete's character, between Sophie and B, but also between the friends. There's a lot of toxicity and narcissism going on. Here you see the rock. This is like a fake rock that we found somewhere. So this is like a fake garden inside the house again, based on those paradise rooms that we saw in those bunkers. Of course, nobody's gonna ever understand that, but that's what it was. This is a fake hallway that we built in the cellar of the house with all those paintings. We wanted everything to look rich. We, we were looking for very bright colors. So that purple on the wall and everything. Jasper loves everything to like be greasy and like looks like a wet down so we asked the production designers to paint as much as we had money to do that because we couldn't do that with as you see with all the walls but when we where we could do it we made it look shiny because that like you see that here on the wall because that would reflect all the flashlights in a nice way and it would come to life more so here b now light is coming up you know this is really the morning after where we I, I always said like this has to feel like you're in a club and all of a sudden the lights go on and you see the destruction of real life. And she's still here. My Hala has a big piece of glass in her belly. Um, this swimming pool, this whole house when we found it was completely, there was mold everywhere. There were mice, dead mice in the swimming pool that mice in the basketball court, we had to really, the production team, production designer team had to like, really work insanely hard to make it look good and then to destroy it all again.
course, when we came up with the idea of no killer, um, and we were fascinated by accidental deaths and absurd deaths, and especially deaths in front of camera. And when we came up with the, Sarah actually came up with the champagne uh, moment, and we thought it would be a great uh, way of, you know, talking about masculine uh, toxic behavior and all of that, and also just the stupidity of all of us wanting to impress the other one through social media and making that very specific in that one scene. But when we were writing it, when <laughs> we were, of course, like, especially me, because I was like, well, I have to make pull it off. Like, you can write it on a page, but how are we ever going to make that believable? And how are people not going to see that coming? And so that was such a fun but also super scary challenge. And I'm so glad that we sort of pulled it off. Um, and this to me is a very a scene, a very personal scene because I'm a very jealous person. I'm a Scorpio um, in love, in not in work at all or in life at all, but just in romance, very possessive and scared and jealous. And I love that she's like pointing a gun and telling her, give, give me your phone. I want to see your text with Jordan in spite of everything that has been happening, like the absurdity of that and the stupidity of that, but the, also how relatable that is because we're all obsessed with each other's phones, each other's secrets. It is so, you know, when you have to write a letter to someone in order to like have an erotic tension with someone, no, now it's just sending a text, sending a WhatsApp. Uh, on Instagram, people are direct messaging each other. So it has become if you are a jealous person, it's a very, it's a time of paranoia. And I thought it would be great to show that even though everything is falling apart, she still wants to know, I want to read your texts with Jordan. It's so human. We're so pathetic and also so sweet. We're like weird children. So they're not fighting over the gun, they're fighting over the phone. And that of course, again, is our comments on ourselves, basically, and the times we live in, and especially those kids, you know, who don't know anything else but a life with a smartphone who has become, like, part of our body almost. Now they see it's not Sophie's phone. She realizes it's David's phone. And now she wants to know what's going on. There, and then she... And that sound, however subtle that sound is, that is the sound of face recognition. And it's so interesting. I find that in general, by the way, um, also for this film, of course, with the storm and how important sound is and sound design. And the storm is also the score in a way. And so this um, particular song I love, Board in the House. And I was so happy when we, we could get it for our film. This we did under a lot of time pressure. We had to shoot this with Pete. Um, we practiced this with this professional stunt man. Of course, that sword is fake, the bottle is fake. And then there was somebody on set who came up actually with the idea to point the sword at himself instead of like away from him, which I thought was so great in how dumb it is. And then 
here comes the friend that they've been talking about all the time. Um, in the beginning of the film, he was introduced earlier. We could see him drive away when the girls were heading up to the house. But we took that out because it sort of made it too dark, too fast. Like it was already clear that something bad had happened. And we wanted to save his presence. It doesn't even matter if you think he's not one of the friends. It doesn't even matter if you don't know who he is. It's just the outside world barging into this completely crazy situation. I have reception. And this, to me, sums it all up. Like, reception is more important than anything. If we don't have reception, we don't have oxygen, it seems. And then um, Charlie XCX created this song for us, which is, I think is amazing. And is a, I loved working with her on this. She understood me very, very well. And, and I love her music and her creativity. And this whole song is a great... Um, fit for, for our film. It's light, it's fun, but it's also, of course, a little comment, um, a little irony on I'm a hot girl. So this was it. I hope you had fun. It feels kind of weird to have been, like, I wish you guys could talk back to me and ask me questions, but that's not how this works. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you enjoyed the film. And I hope to see you with the next film I hope to make. Thank you so very much. Me 
a thick chick sitting on the couch and I'm going through my Netflix. Worked in the motherfucker, I ain't even doing shit. Tell her pull up, make it shake like Nesquik. Neck frozen with nowhere to go, bitch. Popping COD on the PS4. Tell the bitch chill like refrigerator doors. We can heat up some ramen, can't go to the store. <laughs> Ain't even gon' tour no. Niggas so bored I'm losing my mind Bye. All these girls Tell them one at a time, time. Niggas still hating Tell them catch me outside, outside. I'm finito. finito At home like depot She gon' suck it like mosquito, mosquito. I ain't lying She a Leo, Leo. Ay, Married to the money Dressed in tuxedos yeah. I control your mind Like I'm Magneto Bing. Got my Vans on And they look like sneakers yeah. Explore like Dora On a hunt like Easter Okay, I'm bored in the house And I'm in the house, boy Bored in the house And I'm in the house, boy Bored in the motherfucking house, boy And I'm bored in the motherfucking house, boy Bored in the house, bored in the house, boy Bored in the house, bored in the house, boy I'm bored in the motherfucking house, boy And I'm bored in the motherfucking house, boy I'm in the crib like an infant With some Badu playing burning incense Badu, tonic, gin mixed in Snoop house shoes getting down in the kitchen Ay. I'ma socialize at a distance I'm living my best life, minding my business And my anti-socials for the win-win Lockdown, I'ma stay staying in-in Ramen noodles every night for my din-din Hulu binge watching episodes of Ben 10 And I got T-Raw for assistance Bad boy, I'ma at the ball like a piston In quarantine, I'm the quarterback MVP, I'm scoring that In a fool here Shout out door Shout out board and I'm bored in the motherfucking house, boy. Bored in the house, bored in the house, boy. Bored in the house, bored in the house, boy. I'm bored in the motherfucking house, boy. And I'm bored in the motherfucking house, boy. Hey.